Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. Um, can you all hear me okay? Okay. It sounds quiet from up here, so <laughs> I just want to make sure. Uh, if you all could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 21. Psalm 21. So Jeff and I have been making a, uh, a, a, a time together uh, where we have been working through um, the Psalms. This is our first sermon series where we've, we've preached in conjunction to one another. And uh, I'll tell you what, it has been a, a delight and a blessing to be able to uh, be like um, two kids at and uh, helping one another see different <laughs> rays and hues. And uh, we had one such day this past week as uh, we're actually preaching Psalm 20 and 21, uh, but it will be out of order. Because the Lord has providentially decided it be so. And so today we're going to be turning our eyes to Psalm 21, not Psalm 20, for those of you who are keeping up. Uh, But please follow along as I read aloud and uh, we hear from the Lord's word. Psalm 21, to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the requests of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great and through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In my uh, younger years, I was privileged to go on a trip to Chicago. Uh, And when we were there, we uh, had a a mission, you could say, uh, with our church group that was there. And, And the main goal of it was going to be seeking out those who had no homes to provide some kind of financial service, whether it be a, a room and board for a night or just a warm meal. And at, at one point, I distinctly remember when a small group uh, of us all found a, a woman who was clearly in need of some help. And so my youth pastor at the time, whose name is Ernie, uh, he, he gra- gathered a group of us and we, we ventured toward this woman. And uh, as we were walking toward this woman, a a young girl, a a fellow student of mine who was in my youth group, grabbed my arm. 
as if to, to kind of ask for my protection should anything go awry. And being the hot-headed fool in, in that I was and am, my chest kind of swelled with pride. Because I began thinking through all the ways that I could exert and, and, and make great my strength should I be attacked, should I need to come to this girl's defense. So um, we approached the woman, and w- within mere seconds of engaging her, she began screaming. She began throwing her fists and beating the chest of my pastor as he began to try and plead and petition with her that we desired to help. She began screaming profanity and shouting at him. And uh, similar to a moment that possibly Peter had in the garden, I felt my fists begin to clench. And I began to feel the wrath in my chest well up. And as I prepared to wield all 90 pounds of my wrath on this woman who was assaulting a man that I dearly loved, the wicked woman's tirade ended abruptly when suddenly she reared her head back and spat in his face with some of it even shooting directly into his mouth. Silence hung in the air for what seemed like several minutes. As my dear pastor looked her in the eye, he wiped his face And he said something so sweetly that it kind of sounded like a song. He said, there is a man who would never dream of hurting you. His name is Jesus. And he loves you. He took a large bill out of his pocket and he set it on her belongings and we began to walk away. As we walked from that place, I couldn't tell you but maybe a handful of things that happened on the rest of that trip. But I can tell you this. Up to that day, I had known much about what it means to show one's strength in wrath and fury. But that day, like I had not seen before, I saw strength put on display in love and mercy. I believe we have before us today a psalm that depicts not just that reality, but an ever more vivid example of strength on display in wrath and in mercy. Of Psalm 21, we know very little of the internal context. We know that it's written by David. Um, we know that contextually it finds itself in a, in a subsection of the first book of Psalms that seems to deal primarily with this king and has often kingly language. Psalm 21 seems deeply linked with the psalm directly preceding it, Psalm 20. And historically, there have been even some who have claimed that it's uh, been one. But nonetheless, regardless, it's certainly intentionally coupled together. Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 seem to work uh, very much in tandem. Something similar to, uh, to this. Psalm 20 seems as though it's like the ten men suffering from leprosy, crying out for Jesus to heal them. And Psalm 21 is like the one who returned to thank them when being as we're going through, we're going to see that it kind of it works out in, in, in what I would say is two distinct sections and then a conclusion in verse 13. We'll see first the rejoicing of the people for God's strength displayed in the blessings of God poured out through the king in verses 1 
through 7. And then we'll hear of the people's rejoicing for the strength of God displayed in his judgment of the king's enemies in verses 8 through 12. Finally, in verse 13, we'll hear of the people's exaltation in the strength of God that is poured out in his wrath and in his blessing. So let's turn our attention. Let's dive into verse 1. This is the section, verses 1 through 7, of God's strength seen in his blessing. We see verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So we open to an exuberant call of God's people. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. So there we have it. The king has gone out to battle. He's slain the enemy. He's laid waste to the invaders. And the people are at last safe. And then as a mighty king, he returns with his army. And the people come out to greet him, rejoicing in this song the king sings. And now they begin to take part in the rejoicing of the king. What is it then that this king returns from battle rejoicing in? He's no self-glorifying hero. For it is the Lord's strength in which the king rejoices. It's not his own might that the king tells the people to seek, sing of, but the might of his God who has delivered him. It says, in your salvation he greatly exalts. This is no sullen and stoic king. This is not the foolish pomp of a man who believes that to laugh or to cry are foolishness. This is an emotional king filled with passionate thanksgiving. The words the people sing are vibrant. They say the king rejoices like a child who rejoices when their daddy comes home early to play. It says he greatly exults like a love-struck young bride gushing to her friends about her new husband, her knight in shining armor. This is a man who returns with gleeful shouts and youthful singing of the great deliverance of God that God has granted to him. For it is in your salvation he greatly exults. The people sing on. They say, you have given him his heart's desire. The people rejoice because the desire of the king's heart has been granted. Now, interestingly enough, we can see that in Psalm 20, verse 4, what those people had just sung, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans. Here is their response. God has done just what they asked. He granted the people the blessing of a king whose heart is so aligned with their God, so much so that the Lord has given him all his heart desires. And here we begin to get our first glimpse, our, verse, our first flavor, that the man that David writes of is not necessarily himself. You see, we read in 2 Samuel 7 that, that David had a heart to build God a temple. And yet very shortly later on in chapter 7, and in 1 Chronicles 17.4, we hear the Lord's response to David's desire through Nathan the prophet. He says, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. God does not grant just any request from David. 
as much as David had a heart after God's own heart, there was yet another whose will was so aligned so perfectly to reflect God the Father's that he said, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus the King, the Son of David, We see the Lord's almighty and all-powerful strength begin to be put on display as the Lord God is painted as one who can give his anointed king all that he desires. It's almost as if God, whose strength is being shown, is able to do far more abundantly than any could ask or even think. We see this continue into verse 3. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. For you meet him, this phrase meet him, it has the idea of God going ahead of the king to pour out his blessings on him. This is something akin to God granting blessings ahead of the prayer of the king before the king even realizes that he has needs. Like a check in the mail you didn't know you would one day soon need. It has the idea of God meeting the king's needs before he is aware of them. As if God had planned blessings in which no eye had seen, nor ear had heard, nor heart had imagined. What are some of these blessings? What are some of these blessings that the Lord has prepared ahead of time for dear David? We see God do this very thing to David, for he set a crown of fine gold upon his head, didn't he? David, the son of Jesse, though, was not entering the army or contests in order to compete to be considered for kingship. What was this mighty king doing as he was chosen? Watching sheep? Not even considered to be on the menu for lords. He was met with rich blessings and kingship when no one in the world of men would have ever considered him this lowly, this humble shepherd to be worthy of a throne. You see, the Lord God did indeed meet David with these blessings. In God's strength, we see not only his giving of blessings to the king and his people, but we see him giving such rich blessings that the people had not even yet asked for them or dreamed that they could be. He went before David and gave him a glory that was not asked for. He crowned him with a crown of gold. We hear in this, though, the echo of a day coming still when God's crown of his king will not be like the crown of David. David's crown is a loose-fitting crown that as the king grew old and weary, it fell to his son as he returned to the dust from which he came. Yet there's another king. There is another king to come, in fact, in view here. Whose crown no power can move. For we read in Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head. He is the king of all kings and lord of all lords. We see David indeed was crowned by God, and yet he points to a greater. The song continues. They say he asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. 
Now as the king's people sing, they begin to explain these unrequested blessings that are received through the anointed king. They say, he has life of you. You gave it to him. In Psalm 20, the people cried out, O Lord, save the king. Deliver him from this battle from which he goes. And here we see the Lord's response. You gave it to him. Yet like an echo heard in a hollow room, there is more than just David's voice here. For God did just not give length of days, but length of days forever and ever. Now how could this be? To my knowledge, David is not still sitting on a throne over in Israel. That temple is still felled because that temple of God was not the one planned to be rebuilt. For he planned to rebuild a different temple for his people. In which they will worship in spirit and truth. And he is not in Israel. Here the people sing of God's promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 15. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 15 carries on. My steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. You see, David asked for deliverance, quite literally translated salvation from battle. But instead, God granted him deliverance from death for all time to all who believe upon this anointed king. From here, it becomes more clear and clear and clear as David writes of himself as being something only of a spark blown from a far greater flame whose glory is unapproachable and unending. Verse 5, His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon Him. David now instructs his people to sing of a truly marvelous blessing. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. This king is the humble recipient of the very glory of God. As the salvation of the Lord is poured out, there will be a glory and worship poured out for this king through whom salvation from God is to come. In fact, this is to be fulfilled when because of this salvation, Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, remember, these are some of the incredible blessings that the Lord is meeting the king with. Laying out for him before anyone has even asked. As Adam and Eve were not immediately met with the full promised death that they had earned. Rather, God approached them, came to them in the cool of the day. With grace and mercy before their lips had ever asked for it to be so. So also before salvation was ever pleaded, pleaded for, on the lips of a sinner, 
it was plotted eternally before in the mind of our Lord. Call this to mind often if you ever doubt God's goodness, his mercy, or his strength. That the love of the Lord is not caused by the Redeemer's death and sacrifice. The love of the Lord with its blessings and promises and goodness came before Christ's atonement. And even is what provided that sacrifice, that salvation for sinners. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, he carries on. For you make him most blessed forever. If you wish, you can take a look at the footnote in your Bible and you'll see it's also, it's also said, make him a source of blessing forever. This glory and majesty given to the king because of God's salvation would be such as to call him the most blessed forever. This king is not simply a pinnacle upon which to look back at but the pinnacle for all to behold for all ages. He would be the blessed one, the one in whom all blessings are found, the fount, if you will, of every blessing. He would be the one through whom all others would be blessed. Here a listening ear then can catch on a thread that has been pulled. Go take your mind all the way back to Genesis 12 and chapter 22. On that hill where God called out a man named Abraham, who would not even withhold his own son from the Lord God. That God who called to that man Abraham on that hill and provided instead a sacrifice in the only son's place. It was there that God uttered that promise that ripped the fabric of sin and death through your offspring. All nations of the earth will be blessed. Now in Psalm 21, all these years later, David echoes this promise and points it forward to this glorious and highly exalted king. We catch but for a moment a glimpse of why this song is not sung by David, but by the people of God. Why is it that the people of God can rejoice in a gift given to the king? Because the king's blessing is their blessing. For should the Lord God choose to make their king the fount of all blessings, then also they through him receive all blessings. The king in which the people of God trust. The king to whom the people owe their allegiance, their life, their joy, and their blessing. Their flourishing is all tied to this king. This king is given the role of conduit through which all of God's blessings flow. Paul described the fulfillment of this as he says it in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as the trees that are planted beside the river receive all of the river's nourishment, so also those who trust in this King 
belong to this king, obey this king, whose hearts are bound to this king, drink of all the blessings that the Lord pours into him. It is the king's people whose prayers are heard. Through the king's receiving of life, this people receive life. And he unto forever and ever, so also they. Our eyes must once again move past David, don't they? So, as David grew in his elderly age, he understood day by day as his end drew near. He writes here, not of himself. Grown elderly and in peace, he writes of the ancient of days, the king that would come who would have no end who would give his people life and with him length of days forever and ever. The song of the Lord. The king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David wraps up this display of God's strength, this, this blessing of the king with a proclamation of why the Lord God has done this. Why is it that this king was crowned? Why is it that this king has become the fount of every blessing? For the king trusts in the Lord. This king has been found faithful. While some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God was the proclamation of Psalm 27 as this king rode out into battle. And oh, behold, the king who trusts the Lord as he returns from his enemy's defeat. This is the picture of a king who would kneel bent over in a garden in utter agony, anticipating the most dreadful of all realities, the wrath of God upon him. And in his quivering moments, this mighty king fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He put his trust not in the heart of men, for he knew what was in the heart of man. He put no trust in dens and nests as foxes and birds do. He put all of his trust in the Lord who was his very present help in trouble. It is by his right standing then, this king's proper being, his obedience, his trust, that this king is lifted up and exalted to be a king unlike any other, even unto being the king of kings, the name above every name. They say, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Oh, what a promise this is for the people who sit in his shelter. He shall not be moved. No election can thwart his power. No scheme can manipulate his place. No dark and manipulative plot can rattle his throne. This king is one that shall not be moved. And from a people whose future is uncertain who find themselves filled with fear at the state of the world as countries wage war and fall, there is little more comfort than this. 
Oh, the nations they rage. The enemies of the crown may whisper in the dark or scream. But he shall not be moved. Those in him shall be secure. And what's, what is it that binds this to be true? What keeps this just a promise that is made to stir up affections that the host who made the promise has no power to keep? Oh, this promise is guaranteed to be fulfilled through the steadfast love of the Most High. It is given indeed in the name of God himself that assures this promise to be true. What is the steadfast love of God? The steadfast love of God is simply the united expression of God's mercy, His faithfulness, and His power. This is a united expression of God's mercy, His faithfulness, and His power. His steadfast love is the expression of God's mercy, for it is to those undeserving that love which will not waver depending on the receiver of mercy, but on the giver of mercy, the one who is full of mercy. His steadfast love is the expression of his faithfulness. That which God's word shall not end. More faithful will this mercy be tomorrow than the sun is faithful to rise in the sky. And finally, his steadfast love, this power and might expressed. That which will be done, it will throw off every scheme, destroy any hindrance, and it is a picture of the one who is in heaven. That he pleases, and no, no hand can stay his off. Oh, steadfast love, here is what binds the redeemed forever in this immovable king. shall separate us from the love of Christ. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Oh, it is by the steadfast love of God that the people of God are secure. Men never rest upon anything so safely as on God's undeserved favor. His unmerited kindness. He delights to give grace to all that hope in his mercy. The king's salvation is the people's salvation. This is why the people rejoice. The king's trust in the most high is their trust. This is why the people rejoice. We've seen God's strength. His strength made display. In his almighty hand, pouring out blessing to his anointed king and his people. But this is not the only way that the Lord's strength is displayed. His strength is indeed made visible through his mighty upholding of this king, but also in his judgment of those who seek that king's destruction. 
If I charge at a wall with all of my power, and that wall will not be moved, when I ram myself into it as its enemy, if it may not be moved, I can be sure of one thing. I will. And so we see God's strength in his judgment of those opposed to his king. In verses 8 through 12, the song continues. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. David now describes the display of God's strength seen in his victory over the enemy. This battle that he's been delivered from. How is it that the king is able to be so sure of the salvation of the Most High? How might he know that it cannot be thwarted? He says this, your hand will find out all your enemies. Now, what does that tell us about God's enemies? Well, for a start, it may suggest that they are indeed hard to spot. Is it not, in fact, Satan himself that walks about dressed as an angel of light? The most cunning and ferocious enemy has rarely looked like those who are obviously and blatantly rebellious. Is it not true that often for our youth, the greatest challenging fa challenge facing them is not unrighteousness, but self-righteousness? No, the deadliest enemy has always been the one that looks so good to the eye. That looks good for wisdom and delicious for eating. The one that looks so good, look at the, the pitiful, rich, young ruler. He was the most obedient young man in his class, and yet he bore a hatred of God like a hidden tattoo scraped into the skin of his heart. He was covered with a smile and an everything's fine attitude until he met Christ. Ever wonder why dealing with sin and personal conflicts in the church, biblically, is so important? If a fellow member were to approach you to bring your sin to your attention and call you to repent, how would your heart respond to that? I may be wrong, but I have a feeling that the initial response may be less than I may only think this because I know my own weakness and my own flesh. If my face is not in the dirt below the cross of Christ. Meaningful church membership is so important. Being known, intimately known, not by some therapist or a friend from another church, but by those who are one with you, in the thick of it, ministering to and with one another, belonging to one another. James calls us to save one another's souls from death by bringing each other back when we've wandered. Oh, how. Desperate the situation is in so many churches. Filled with unbelievers, unchecked, unchallenged, and pacified into believing they are right. Often I fear it may be because we haven't given heed to David's words. Find out those who hate you. What of hate? 
speak not of those who hate you and screaming outside the house of the Supreme Court justices. Who is it that Jesus says hates the Lord? In John 3.20 we read, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It's anyone who lives not for love and worship of the Lord. Anyone who does not find all their life and joy and rest in the light in our nature, it is every last one. Only those who are not included are those who have been hidden in the one who was never counted the enemy of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. The theologian says, all enemies of Christ pursued by God and overcome them. None of them shall escape. Neither open enemies nor close looking the Lord is not lacking strength to uphold true justice in his right hand. All wrong, wrongs done to his son and to his people will be brought to account and all accounts will be settled with him. Oh, might we find comfort in one another. For we are a needy people. And we have been redeemed by an immovable What is it then that the Lord promises as a future for his enemies? One theologian says it this way. The finding out of this passage relates not only to the discovery of the haters of God, but to the touching of them in the tenderest parts so as to cause the severest suffering and utter destruction of soul and body is here intended. How will God's mighty strength be shown through those who hate say you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear this speaks of absolute judgment as in an oven the burning is extremely hot the heat covering what is within it from every direction above below and about they've closed their own condemnation's door from going out or from allowing any relieving cool from coming in utter judgment is in view here the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. This does not speak about the way God treated an army of Ammonites once upon a time upon a distant battlefield by the hand of David. Rather, this psalm continues to point again and again and again beyond David to a future king who coming again will bring no peaceful baby in a manger, but a king high and horrible to the enemies who have set their faces against him. This speaks of an all-consuming judgment. This, this, these verses bear a striking image to Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. The song sings, in his wrath fire will consume them. This points to the promised end given to all who would have no Christ as their Savior and Lord, those who would bear no mark or fruit of the Holy Spirit, but choose instead the mark of the beast, the fruit of the flesh. 
You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Here they say that whatever they whatever man seeks happiness in. Whatever meaning they found in this life will be as though it never existed in the midst of this punishment. There will be no joy or sweet remembrance of the wickedness and fun they enjoyed. But as Joseph's seven sickly cows ate up the seven fat cows and the seven years of famine would make all who lived in the, the, the years of richness be completely forgotten. So also will it be for an eternity of those who save their lives and lose their souls. Those who do not repent and turn to Christ. The song continues. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. In this, the complete and whole judgment that is to take place. The enemies of the king will be judged not simply on the actions that they do and succeed in, but even in the plans of their hearts. They will be held accountable for the desires and internal temptations that they even wish they could do. That which they wish they could do but have no power to complete. The Lord judges the hearts and intentions of man, not simply the actions of man when he gathers enough power to complete his wicked will. They carry on their song, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. The enemies of God have set their faces against the Lord God. Believing themselves to be conquerors, possibly even pursuers, as a lion hunting a slaughtered sheep. Yet they will find that they have set up themselves, almost like target practice, for which the Lord's wrath to take account. The only danger is their own. This is to be a comfort of those who love Christ. Those who were promised to suffer in this life as he did. We take no joy in the punishment of men for they are no weaker nor more wicked than we. And yet we are called to take great comfort and joy in our Lord's victory over his enemies and it will be final for his strength is seen both in his pouring out of blessing so powerful he can actually give all that the heart of this king desires his strength is seen in his pouring out of blessing to the anointed king as well as in his punishment of the wicked who have bound themselves to the serpent in rejection of the Savior. So here we find a conclusion. Verse 13, we see the rejoicing in God's strength. As God's strength is exalted. They sing, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The people have sung 
their song. They have seen the testimony of God's strength as they have watched as the Lord blessed this king in magnificent ways. They've watched the might of the Lord God put on terrible display in the judgment of his enemies. And now they sing the only right and logical end. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. God's people, as they behold his might, his power, and his strength, sing praise to their God. He is the one on whom all trust and all hope may rest, for he is the one in whom all power finds its dwelling. Thus his people rejoice. How then are we to handle this? How then is a small church in Stephenville, Texas, to hear these words sung by the people of God to and of the anointed king of thousands of years back, pointing to the king who once came and now rules and reigns on his heavenly throne, who will come back, who will come again in infinite might and bring the, bring the perfection of all he has promised. I put before you four points of application on which to meditate this week that may help you to rejoice in the strength of the Lord. We learn from this psalm that we can do four things. We learn from this psalm we can rejoice in the strength of our Lord who gave our king his heart's desire. Oh, what a sweet comfort. <laughs> Might we draw from better knowing the heart's desire of our king. For when Christ was anxiously awaiting, he spoke of he longed to eat the Passover with his disciples. He desired to portray the reality of the sacrifice that would be. He longed to become the sign of his salvation brought forth for his people. His heart's desire, the heart's desire of our king, is to be the body torn that man might draw near to God. The heart's desire of our king is to be the blood poured out on behalf of the wicked. What was Christ's desire to purchase you with his infinite blood for the price of his infinite blood? His great desire was to make you his he desired always to please the Father, thus being for us our perfect righteousness before the King of glory. Are you a weary sinner? Heavy laden with guilt and tired of living comfortably miserable in sin, turn in earnest repentance to the Lord God. For His strength 
is greater than your sin's weight. Your forgiveness was bought before ever being born. God's favor has been sent for all who would be given to him. Oh, rejoice in the strength of our Lord who gave his king his desire and held back not his wrath even when it was upon his own son. This psalm teaches us that we can rejoice in the strength of the Lord who has made our king the fountain of all blessedness. Those who have Christ and have nothing else have infinitely more than all that this world could offer or give. He is not simply good. He is goodness. There is no good of this earth that will not rot and mold. There is no food that one day will not leave you hungering. There is not one person whose love can leave you satisfied and fulfilled. He is the one in whom is found every spiritual blessing. In Him is true peace amidst an anxious world. In Him alone is joy in the midst of a world of sorrows. In Him alone is there assurance in a world where nothing is secure, even to the end of the day. Even until the next minute. Should tomorrow everything you love and hold dear be dashed to pieces for the rest of your earthbound life, still yet take joy. For Christ is the blessed one. And he pours his blessing out eternally to those who are in his kingdom. Whether our hearts assault us with anxieties or sorrows, with anger or loss, with suffering or exhaustion, all blessings we might ever need to be conquerors in even these are found in Christ Jesus and his loving kindness. In the world's trouble, we may be like those sitting just below the surface of an ocean as tsunamis rage just above that surface. Though the winds lash, the rains gush, and all we love is threatened to be laid waste. Still, only ever do we dwell in sleeping soft waters. Resting below the surface in the waters of Rejoice, oh, rejoice in your God, whose omnipotent strength has bound our only and every good in Christ Jesus. This psalm teaches us that we can rejoice in the strength of the Lord who will judge his enemies. The coming destruction of the wicked will be unlike any human example that is able to be given. Such utter and complete destruction is only partially, partially imaginable to our, in, our, our finite minds. This is the God who, according to Psalm 4, whose glance creates earthquakes, whose simple touch ignites volcanoes. What is the depth and breadth of his wrathfully poured out? There is no hidden sin that will be left unexposed. 
There is no wrong that will be left unrighted. The doom of the wicked will be exceedingly terrible. And it will be total. You who are not in Christ, please hear me. This is not meant to scare you into praying a prayer or changing your behavior in an attempt to be good enough to get to heaven. No, this is a promise from the Most High God that you are utterly and intimately known. None that is you is hidden from his eyes. All sin is fully discovered. Every inch of your rebellion will one day be shown to be simply pleading with the terrible wrath of God to pursue you in his infinite fury. And with all that knowledge, he sent a king. With all that wrath we beg for, he pours out grace. Hear this warning as it was intended. As an invitation to instead turn your face to the son whose deepest desire was to save rebels just like you and me. Turn and do not ever cease to turn your heart in repentance and faith as he is the one and only Savior, the one upon whom is found the approval of the Lord of glory, the one who has never been the enemy of God. He calls you right now and from now on into loving submission in his loving kindness. This song teaches us that we can rejoice in the strength of the Lord who has exalted himself in both judgment and blessing to the king. In both judgment and blessing to the king. God displays his almighty power in both pouring out endless blessings through his king and through pouring out eternal wrath Upon all of his enemies. And yet. Oh what unceasing glory. Is seen in this fact. Upon the cross of Jesus Christ. God displayed his full almighty power. For together in one moment. In one event. He poured out all of his endless loving favor. Through his king. And poured out the full measure of wrath. Upon this king as well. Through the strength of our Lord, every stripe on Christ's back was the means of forgiveness to those who struck him. Behold the glorious strength of our God and rejoice for by his almighty hand, he has brought salvation for all eternity for those who dwell eternally in this king. Would you rejoice in such glorious strength? The strength to make his enemies one with himself forever. I leave you with the hopeful charge of our long past brother Charles Wesley. He says, rejoice, the Lord is king. Your Lord and king adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing 
and triumph evermore. Rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord and Judge shall come and take His servants up to their eternal home. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank You for Your glorious strength. Poured out in perfect display on our true eternal King. Lord, we thank you for this song that gives both joy and warning, both blessing and curse. Lord God, would we as your people take this song upon our lips? knowing that this song was not written only for those who sung it as David returned, but, Lord, for those who sung it as David, as he sung for the one to come. Lord God, would we take joy in your strength. Oh, in the endless other spiritual blessings that you have poured out on us. Also, in your righteous judgment that is to come, Lord, might we be as desperate doorways, pleading with those who turn their face against you, to turn their face toward you. Lord, if sinners be accursed forever, might it be over our poured out bodies. Lord God, would you help those here in this room who know you, who love you. Might we rejoice in this week as we go about. Might we rejoice in your strength to give our king all his desires. Might we rejoice in your strength as you pour out judgment upon all who afflict your name. Would you help us to rejoice in your strength as you make the Lord Christ our every good eternal And Lord God, would you help our hearts this week to rejoice in that glorious gospel, in that beautiful display of power, almighty strength, that you have poured out your blessing through your king because you have poured out your curse upon him. Lord, would you rejoice our hearts and would we rejoice our hearts with you. We pray these things be blessed in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to the word of God.